Grace and peace to you, friends. Welcome to The Oak Tree Journeys. My name is Mandy Oaks, and this is the Encyclopedia Challenge, Season 1, Episode 80. That's right, you heard me. 80 episodes. That's not even including any of the bonus episodes. I appreciate everyone being here, and I also appreciate your patience last week as we took a break. I hope you enjoyed your break. If you did get a break, I know some people still had to work um, on Labor Day. Um, and I appreciate those people very, very much. I may have had to get gas. I don't remember. But if you had to work, we definitely appreciate you. If you got to have a break, I hope you had a restful break. Um, or at least an enjoyable one. Uh, but today is September 11th. And it is Grandparents Day. It's also... The 9-11 Remembrance Day. We're not going to go into that. Uh, but definitely appreciate all of you being here. And if you are new here, you may be asking, what is this? What is the Encyclopedia Challenge? Is this something I need for school? Do I have to own an encyclopedia? Do I need to read along? Read along? And I can't speak today, apparently. But uh, those are all good questions. And no, this is not for school unless your teacher uh, decided to assign you to read or listen to the entire encyclopedia, in which case you either have a very cruel teacher or a very wise teacher, um, depending on how long they're giving you to read the entire encyclopedia. Um, but no, this is just for fun. If you enjoy words, this is for you. Um, if you've always wanted to read the entire encyclopedia but just never found the time, uh, this is for you. Uh, if you're just curious about things, this is for you. Um, if you like to hear someone misspell or mispronounce, not misspell, but mispronounce words, this is for you. Um, but welcome. I appreciate all of my regular listeners, and I appreciate my new listeners. And if you are new, I hope you stick around. Uh, we have fun here. I laugh at myself whenever uh, I mis mispronounce a word, and you can laugh at me too. I don't mind. Don't mind at all. But today, um, as I mentioned, it is September 11th, and it is Grandparents Day in addition to remembering 9-11. So since we are going to see a whole bunch of stuff about 9-11, I wanted to read some quotes about grandparents um, because they're just, they're really cute. Uh, some of these quotes are very cute and I, I really like them. And if you have grandparents today, or if you have grandparents or even anyone who reminds you of a grandparent or has been grandparently towards you, uh, wish them a happy grandparents day uh, because they do a lot. Uh, most of them do a lot for us. Uh, but yeah, just wish them a happy Grandparents Day. And before we get into our quote of the month, I'm going to read one of the Grandparents Day quotes that I found. This one is by Nicholas Brault. I'm not sure who Nicholas Brault is, but I found this quote on one of the quote sites. And it was repeated a lot, so I thought this was really cool. So Nicholas Brault said this about grandfathers, which is really cool. To a small child, the perfect granddad is unafraid of big dogs and fierce storms, but absolutely terrified of the word boo. I thought that was really cute. 
And I will read the others as we go along today. So let's go ahead and get into the quote of the month and then we will get into the meat of why you are here. You are here to listen to the encyclopedia, to glean information, to find out what the next word is, uh, to get through the A's, right? <laughs> we are in the second book of A's if you don't remember. Okay, so our quote of the month it's for, actually from Psalms. It's a Psalm 146, verses 1 and 2. And this one is the New King James Version. Um, I'm toying with the idea of using different versions uh, for, each, uh, for each week, um, just to kind of compare what they say about these verses. But the New King James Version says about Psalm 146, verses 1 through 2, Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord, O my soul! While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. And you may be wondering, why did you pick this one, Mandy? Well, I chose this one because I have been waking up the past few mornings, with the exception of this morning. Um, I've been waking up just singing, just singing to God. I've been going to bed singing to God. Uh, throughout the day, I find myself singing. So, and that's what we're supposed to do. Um, as Christians, we are supposed to praise God. Um, we need to have a song in our heart, sing praises to Him, and, and pray to Him all the time. So, uh, we'll, we'll repeat uh, the quote of the month um, before we leave today. But, I just wanted to give you some background as to why I chose that one. Okay, our first set of five entries... Are, if I remember how to pronounce this one, I did practice it, um, but you never know about me. We have Andresium, Andresium, Androlocles and the Lion, Androloclus, Androgynous, and Androgynous. So our first entry is from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909, and that is... Andresium, Andresium, which is in botany, the male organs of the flowers, stamens taken collectively. So that's simply all it is. So for the next two, so entries two and three, we go to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. And we are actually only going to use the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 one more time. So for a total of three times. So for entry number two, Androlocles and the Lion, a play in two acts by George Bernard Shaw, first produced at St. James Theatre, London, on September 1st of 1913. Shaw freely adapts to his own broader purposes the classical story of a lion's gratitude to the slave who removes, removes a thorn from his paw. Years later, the two meet face-to-face -face again in the mortal combat of the arena, whereupon the lion recognizes his benefactor and refrains from attacking him. Shaw has written of his play that it presents the essential conflict between persecutions of all time and martyrs of all time, for the illustration of which conflict he uses a particular Roman persecution of early Christians as a typical instance. At the same time, he is thus afforded an opportunity to air his views on organized Christianity. The leading characters of the play are Androlocles himself, conceived as a humanitarian Christian, the reigning emperor, 
a symbol of the absolute ruler spiritually corrupted by his semi-divinity, a captain in the Roman army who embodies all that is patrician, coldly authoritarian and rigidly disciplined in the empire of his era, and the lion who exhibits not only a capacity for gratitude, but also a decided flair for Shavian comedy. Various lesser persons of the play are presented as carefully differentiated types of Christians and pagans. The England of 1913 was inclined to be shocked by Androlocles and the Lion, which was judged to be both flippant and blasphemous, but the more liberal audiences of the years after World War I, particularly in the United States, accepted it as among the most challenging and yet shrewdly ironic of Shaw's shorter plays. I don't know if we ever read that in school, but that sounds like a really good play, and it sounds like it would uh, be true to every generation. Um, so that's pretty cool. And number three, again from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956, Androlocles, or Androlocles, which there are two different spellings, and that will be on my website. And before I forget, because sometimes I do forget <laughs> to plug in my website, if you do want to know how any of these are spelled, or if you've missed any words, or if you want to check out any books uh, that you can order, go to my website, theoaktreejourneys.com, and that is the, T-H-E, oak, O-A-K, tree, T-R-E-E, journeys, J-O-U-R-N-E-Y-S.com, and my website is listed in the description of the podcast um, so you could head there and select encyclopedia challenge for today's it is season one episode 80 and if you are listening this week of uh, 9 11 2022 then it will be at the very bottom uh, if you are listening at any other time then you'll need to do a control f fine for it all right so number and i lost my place number three Androlocles or Androlocles, Roman slave, 1st century AD, around there. He was the hero of a story by Aulus Gellius on which Androlocles and the Lion is based. So I wanted to get that in there because he was a Roman slave from the 1st century AD. So Shaw didn't just make him up completely. Okay. Sometimes the best stories are ba are loosely based or inspired by someone from the past, uh, which can be really fun to write or read. Number four. Number four is from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909, which is androgynous. A single individual having the characteristics of both sexes and hermaphrodite, androgynol or androgynous, of both sexes having male and female florets on the same footstock, androgynally, androgynism, in botany, a change from a diocese to a monocyst condition. And number five, before break, is androgynous again. However, it is spelled a little differently. So you will, um, if you are curious as to the difference in the spellings, um, head to my website, theoaktreejourneys.com. And androgynous, a term sometimes employed in botany to designate an inflorescence 
which consists of distinct male and female flowers, and more frequently in zoology, in reference to animals which possess a distinct male and female generative system in the same individual. This is the case with very many of the lower kinds of animals, but is not inconsistent with a necess necessity for the cooperation of two individuals in the propagation of the species. See hermaphrodite, physiology, reproduction. And with that, let's head to break. And welcome back. Our next set of five entries are Android, Andromache, Andromachus, Andromeda, and Andromeda. So our first entry, or entry number six, is Android which is a noun, and this is from 1909. So this word has been around for quite a while, and the definition has been pretty much the same for a very long time. So android, noun, and automaton in human form. Androids, automats in human form. Number seven, andromache, and I said that wrong whenever I said it, my apologies for that, andromache. And again, this is from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. And it is, in legend, wife of Hector, daughter of King Etion of Thebes in Cilicia, and one of the finest female characters in Homer's Iliad. During her childhood, Hercules slew her father and her seven brothers. Her love of Hector is pathetically depicted in her address Oh, the hero on his going to battle and her lamentation of over his death. That's Iliad 6 and 24. After the fall of Troy, she was given into the hands of Paris, son of Echiles, who took her away to Epirus, but afterwards surrendered her to Helenus, Hector's brother, by whom she had a son named Sestrinus. She is the heroine of one of the tragedies of Euripides. Man, she sounds like a really sad character. And it's been so it's been a very long time since I've read the Iliad, so I don't really remember her. <laughs> um, actually at all. Um, it's been years and years and years since I read the Iliad. I remember enjoying it, but obviously I didn't remember any of the characters. And number eight, we are switching to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956, and this will be the last time that we are in this encyclopedia. And it is, if I can find it, Andromachus. And this is interesting. I chose him to read, uh, it's very, very short. Um, and I would like to know more about him, uh, like why. <laughs> uh, and you'll, like, why, why were you who you were? Why did you serve the person you served? You know, what was going on? So Andromachus, a physician to the emperor Nero, an inventor of a medicine called theriac, described in Galen's works. So very short, um, very interesting. I don't know if we know more about him. Uh, if we don't, there we go. For any aspiring writers out there, um, sometimes the best characters are the ones we don't know that much about from the past. And just a little hint there. Number nine, let's switch back to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. And we will be here the rest of the 
for the podcast. And for my regular listeners, you know, we've been doing 30, but I'm going to cut it down to 20, and we may stick with 20. I've gone back and listened to all of my podcasts, and it seems, um, I thought 30 was a good number, but it seems like it can get really, really long. And the two two plus hours, um, that, that's a really long time. Even though it, it's fun and I enjoy it, um, I recognize that that can be a little longer than you may want to may want to invest in one sitting. So I appreciate those of you who do invest two, two hours, two plus hours. So thank you so much. But I will, uh, I do recognize that that is a little long, even for me. And I enjoy this. I, I enjoy words and I know you do too. Um, but sometimes things, you know, we, we can get a little too much of a good thing. All right. And number nine, Andromeda in Legend. And we're not talking about the um, TV show. Wasn't there a TV show called Andromeda or something like that? Anyway, I never watched it, um, but I've heard about it. Uh, number nine, Andromeda in Legend, daughter of the Ethiopian king Cepheus by Cassiopeia. Like her mother, remarkably beautiful, when Cassiopeia, with motherly pride, boasted that her daughter was more beautiful than the Nereids, these offended deities prayed Neptune to revenge the insult. Oh, how dare someone else be more beautiful than us? Accordingly, the territory of King Cepheus was devastated by a flood, and a terrible sea monster appeared whose wrath the oracle of Amon declared could only be appeased by the sacrifice of Andromeda. As Andromeda was fastened to a rock and left as a prey to the monster, Perseus, returning from his victorious battle with Medusa, saw the beautiful victim and determined to rescue and win her. Having slain the sea monster, he received Andromeda as his reward. Minerva gave Andromeda a place among the constellations. There we go. Their evilness would not be would not be satisfied. <laughs> All right. And before we go to number ten, and before we go to break, I wanted to do another grandparent quote. This is an Italian proverb. So we did a grandfather quote before. So let's do a grandmother quote. And this is a, this is from an Italian proverb that I found online. So if it's if it's not completely accurate, my apologies. If nothing is going well, call your grandmother. I think that's so sweet. If nothing is going well, call your grandmother. I like that. That could be interpreted so many ways. But I, I have called my grandmother when nothing is going well. And I don't necessarily complain to her. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just listen to her. And just listening to her, I feel so, so much better. I don't have to tell her what's going on. I could just listen to her day. And just, just the fact that she answered my call is just, wow. And number 10, we have Andromeda again. Which is, this one is a genus of plants of the natural order Brachyca, distinguished by a five-valved naked capsule which splits up through the back of the cells. Anthers with two awns and a glo globose corolla with the orifice contracted. The species, which are numerous, have very much the general appearance of heaths. Most of them are small shrubs, but some attain a considerable size. 
The only British species is Andromeda blyphilia, occasionally found in peat bogs in different parts of the country, and common throughout the north of Europe and North America, a small evergreen shrub with beautiful rose-colored drooping flowers. It has acrid narcotic properties, and sheep are said to be killed by eating it. Oh, that's awful. The shoots of it in like manner poison goats in Nepal, and similar effects are ascribed to Amarinia, a stagger bush in the United States. A festigita was observed by Dr. Hooker, abounding at great elevations in the Himalayas. A humble shrub resembling the heather of Scotland, the leaves are used as a substitute for tea. See sorrel tree. And with that um, interesting fact, uh, let's go to break. Our next set of five entries are Andronicus I, Andronicus II, Andronicus or Cerehestes, Andronicus of Rhodes, Andronicus, Livius. So number 11 is Andronicus I, who was from the Byzantine era. So he was a Byzantine emperor from 1112 to 1185, September 12th. Son of Isaac Comnenus, he was one of the most conspicuous characters of his age, which produced no man more brave, more profligate, or more perfidious. His life was full of extraordinary vicissitudes. During part of his youth, he was a prisoner of the Turks in Asia Minor. He afterwards spent some time at the court of his cousin, the Emperor Manuel, and a niece of the emperor became his mistress. He was appointed to a military command in Cilicia, but although his courage, his noble appearance, and his gracious manners made him the favorite of the army, his imprudence and waste of time and desolate pleasures involved him in defeat, as it would anyone, actually. <laughs> Having engaged in a treasonable correspondence with the king of Hungary and the German emperor, he was thrown into prison by Manuel and remained there above 12 years. Oh my goodness. But at last made his escape and although not without further extraordinary adventures, reached Q, the residence of the Grand Duke Jaroslav. He regained the favor of his cousin by persuading the Russian prince to join him in the invasion of Hungary and by his gallantry in that war, but incurred his displeasure again by refusing to take the oath of allegiance to the prince of Hungary the intended husband of Manuel's daughter, as presumptive heir to the empire. He was sent to honorable banishment in Cilicia, where he found a new mistress and a sister of the empress. The resentment of the emperor breaking out against him, he sought refuge in a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. His professions of zeal made his former conduct to be forgotten, and he was invested with the lordship of Veritas. But his Profligacy became, if possible, more scandalous than ever in the seduction of Theodora, the widow of Baldwin, king of Jerusalem, who lived with him for years as his mistress. The emperor's anger made Pales hmm, time unsafe for him, and he fled with Theodora to Damascus, and finally settled among the Turks in Asia Minor, 
with a band of outlaws making frequent inroads into the Roman province of Trebizond, from which he carried away spoil and slaves. Theodora and her children were at last taken and sent to Constantinople, and thither he followed, imploring with a chain about his neck and in a form of abject submission the forgiveness of the emperor, which he obtained but was sent to Ono in Pontus. After the death of Manuel, popular indignation was excited against the empress, who acted as regent for her son Alexius II, and Andronicus was recalled in 1182 to deliver the empire from her tyranny. He was appointed guardian of the young emperor and soon afterwards his colleague in the empire. He caused the empress mother to be strangled, and afterwards Alexius himself, with whose widow he contracted an indecent marriage. His reign, though short, was vigorous and restored prosperity to the provinces, but tyranny and murder were its characteristics in the cap capital. He set no bounds to the gratification of his revenge against all who had ever offended him, and his jealousy of possible rivals was equally sanguine. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what that word is. At last, a destined victim... Isaac Angelus, one of his relatives, having fled to the church of St. Sophia for sanctuary, a crowd gathered, and a sudden insurrection placed Isaac on the throne, with Andronicus, now 73 years of age, was put to death by the infuriated populace. After horrible mutilations and tortures, he was the last of the Comenini on the throne of Constantinople, but the succeeding dukes and emperors of Trezebond were descendants of his son, Manuel. Wow. <laughs> that is... You, you have to appreciate someone's zeal and passion, but not, not their cruelty. Number 12, Andronicus II. Byzantine emperor, reigned 1283-1328, son of Michael Plagulus, after a weak and inglorious reign, he was driven from the throne by his grandson, Andronicus III, who, after a reign equally inglorious, died 1341. During these reigns, province after province was conquered by the Turks. So, I don't blame them for being short. Number 13, Andronicus or Serestes, surnamed Serestes, from his birthplace, Seros in Syria, said to have erected the octagonal tower called the Tower of the Winds at Athens, a building of B.C. 3rd or 2nd century. It probably received its name from figures representing the eight principal winds and from a brazen tri triton which surmounted it and showed the direction of the wind, the first known weathercock. Oh, that's pretty cool. And number 14, Andronicus of Rhodes. So Andronicus of Rhodes, a peripatetic philosopher who lived at Rome in Cicero's time and employed himself in criticizing and explaining the works of Aristotle, a great number of which he was probably the means of preserving to us. None of the writings of Andronicus of Rhodes are extant, for the works ascribed to him are probably the productions of Andronicus Calastos, a learned Greek of the 15th century. And before we move on to number 15 and then go to break, um, I've got a story. 
Um, it's about a woman who was not my grandmother. However, I hung out with her quite a bit uh, before she passed away. And I remember her quite fondly. Her name was Jean Webb. And I would take her places. Uh, she was moved into a facility, though. Uh, so she, uh, my family and I helped her move from a house to a, a facility. It was a Christian village facility. And she lived on the ends where she could live mostly independently. Um, and so I would come and pick her up. Well, what I didn't realize until after she passed away was I was sneaking her out. And I may have already said this story um, before I know I've written it in, into a play uh, for a contest, but I would sneak her. I had no idea I was sneaking her out, but we would. she would come out the back door and she would scotch the back door with a rock. And then she would go back in to the back door, but we would have a blast. We would go everywhere. She would tell me, stories about working out. Um, she was a feisty little lady. Um, she was helping people. She told me about brushing her teeth with, oh, what did she brush her teeth with? Um, laundry detergent, I think it was. or so, No, it was soap. She brushed her teeth with soap because she ran out of toothpaste and no one was willing to take her to the store um, before I took her. So... <laughs> Uh, so she was just a feisty, feisty woman, and I remember her quite fondly, and, and she was like a, a third grandmother to me, um, but I just loved her to death, but the, I always remember her scotching the door with a rock, and even watching her scotch the door with a rock, it never once occurred to me that she was sneaking out, um, but yeah, so... <laughs> So yeah, it's a wonder that the police wasn't called on me um, for sneaking her out. But I'm very thankful for, for those memories. Uh, so again, uh, just, just a, as a little reminder, you know, if you've got someone in your life who, who you sneak out <laughs> and take to places, um, wish them a happy Grandparents' Day. Okay, and number 15 is, if I can find it, um, Andronicus, Livius, or Livius Andronicus, which simply says, see Livius Andronicus. So we have to wait until we get to the L's to find out who in the world this person is. And before we go on break, let me just uh, read another quote about grandparents. And this is by Sarah Long. My grandfather was a wonderful role model. Through him, I got to know the gentle side of men. And that's so sweet. I'm going to read that one more time by Sarah Long. My grandfather was a wonderful role model. Through him, I got to know the gentle side of men. And let's go ahead and go to break. Our next set of five entries, or the last set of five entries, are... Andrafor, Andropagon, Andros, Sir Edmund, and Vari, and Anecdote. And before we get into uh, the entries, I just wanted to let everyone know, if you are in this part of Tennessee um, between September 25th and September 29th, so Bluff City, so the area of Bluff City, Tennessee, uh, there is a gospel meeting at Mountain View Church of Christ. Uh, between September 25th and the 29th, and um, 
the 26th through the 29th, it's at 7 p.m. Uh, the 25th, it's during our regular um, worship hours. The 25th is on a Sunday, so it's 10 a.m., 11 a.m., and 6 p.m. And there's actually a meal, so we have two meals this month. Um, so I don't know if I'm supposed to cook for this meal. Um, if I do, I need to find out very quickly. But uh, September 25th, if you, again, are in the, the area of Bluff City, after the early morning worship service of 11 a.m., uh, we will have a meal. So uh, stick around. If you are able to come to the gospel meeting the 25th to the 29th, we welcome you. And that is at Mountain View Church of Christ in Bluff City, Tennessee. So, and uh, yes, uh, two meals. I know I've said before, it seems like we have a meal all the time. Well, this month we actually do because we just had a meal last week. Um, and since I skipped last week, you didn't know that. So, or maybe you did. Maybe you remember the podcast before that where I mentioned it. Um, but I made a turkey that I had bought a few months ago and it was really, really good. Um, I don't know if I need to make a meal this time. I don't know what I'm going to make. So I'll have to think about that. All right. So number 16 is Indra 4. So Indra 4 noun. And it is in botany, a stalk supporting the stamens often formed by a union of the filaments. Indra 4s, plural, in natural history, the metasiform gonophores of the hydrozoa which carry the spermatozoa and differ in form from those in which the ova are developed. Number 17, andropogon. Andropogon, and it simply says sea lemongrass. And if you've ever had lemongrass, it, it smells pretty good. And tastes pretty good. Before we move on to number 18, let me read one more quote about grandparents. And this is by Brina Nelson Paston. I thought this was really cute. Truth be told, being a grandma is as close as we ever get to perfection. The ultimate warm sticky bun with plump raisins and nuts. Clouds 9, 10, and 11. I really, I really don't care for sticky buns with plump raisins. But I think it's really cute. Brina Nelson Paston. I want to read it one more time because it is so cute. Truth be told, being a grandma is as close as we ever get to perfection. The ultimate warm sticky bun with plump raisins and nuts. Clouds 9, 10, and 11. And let's move on to number 18, Andros, Sir Edmund, or Sir Edmund Andros. An American colonial governor, born in London, England, 1637, December 6th. Died there 1714, February 24th. In 1666, he was made major of an infantry regiment and sent to America, and in 1672 was titular commander of the British forces in Barbados. At this time, he was in England, and in 1672, April, was made major in a regiment of dragoons raised for Prince Rupert. Also a landgrave in Carolina, two years later succeeding his father as bailiff of Guernsey. In 1674, Andros was made lieutenant and governor of all the Duke of York's territories in America, including New York, New Jersey, and Delaware, Martha's Vineyard, and parts of Maine, and a claim to all Connecticut west of that river. 
He arrived in November and the next year began to push the Connecticut claim, but the Duke did not desire an appeal to force, and after making formal declarations at Saybrook, Andros retired. During the next two years, the Indian troubles were acute, and he proved himself one of the ablest and most useful of Indian managers, winning the goodwill of the Iroquois at the critical time, and not only keeping his own colony protected, but sending help in the outlying points in Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and Maine. He spent a few months in England in 1677 to 1678 and was knighted. In 1678 to 1680, there was an increasing friction, religious and otherwise. He was an Episcopalian and one of his appointees to a coadjutorship in an Albany church was tried for heresy, but acquitted. Andros, however, tactfully quieted the disturbance and contributed to build a reformed church in New York. Then the merchants charged him with unfairness in trade matters and was suppressing part of his receipts in his public accounts with the object of inducing James to sell some of them the right to farm the New York revenues. At this period, Philip Carteret was acting as governor of East Jer Jersey under the Duke of York's grant to his brother and Berkeley. There were complications inherited from previous changes which, were for which forced Andros to keep interfering under his superior commission, and at last he sent a body of soldiers to seize Carteret and bring him to New York to be tried for exercising illegal jurisdiction. Andros acted as judge, but the jury acquitted Carteret, who was triumphantly reinstalled. James recalled Andros and sent out a commissioner to investigate this and the other charges. He reported that Andros was not in fault, but the latter was retained at home, made gentleman of the privy chamber to Charles II, and received a 99 years grant of the island of Alderney and other favors. So, his the accusations that were made against him, it sounds like, and we still have more, more to read, so, um, but it sounds like it didn't really hurt him too, too bad, at least financially. I know, I realize, you know, an accusation can harm someone's reputation, and it is so, so difficult to overcome that. M money cannot compensate the amount of damage that can do to one's reputation, whether it's a, a truth or a lie. Um, so we all, we should always, now I'm not going to say that they were being truthful in, in his, their accusations. We don't know that. Um, the investigation said that that they weren't, but we have a lot more to read here, and I just wanted to kind of throw in my two cents. Um, and just put a reminder, let's be careful uh, before we accuse someone of doing something. Let's let's be very, very careful, and because if you've ever been accused of anything, it you know, no matter how great or small, that damages your entire reputation, and it can take years to regain that if ever some people don't ever regain it um so we want to be very very careful if it's true then yes it should be investigated it should be taken care of and your your reputation should be damaged if it's true but if it's not true that is a lot of damage yes you can be compensated monetarily for the damage that was done but and it's really really hard so anyway that's just Threw, threw that in there. Uh, you can take it or leave it. That's all right. So let's go ahead and finish up. We have um, one giant paragraph left, which could have probably been... 
done up into like two or three paragraphs. So, the ascension of James II in 1685 brought him a great, though ill-starred position, which has loaded his memory with unjustifiable abuse. The Massachusetts Charter had been vacated in 1684 October, and Charles II had appointed the notorious Colonel Piercy Kirk governor, but as he never entered on his duties, Andros was commissioned governor of all New England as one consolidated colony on 1686 June 3rd. On arriving at Boston in 1686 December 19th, he organized his new government, which, as the people had no longer right to tax themselves, levied a new tax, which, however, was exactly the same as the old. Ipswich refused to pay, and the ringleaders were fined and imprisoned. He was ordered to proclaim all land titles invalid unless confirmed by the crown for a quit rent, and enforce the law in the most humane way by bringing test suits against a few of the wealthiest citizens before proceeding further. He granted waste common lands to individuals who would improve a venial crime. Heavy fees were charged by the public officials, but he neither fixed the rates, received the proceeds, nor appointed the officers who did. He had Episcopal services held in the Old South Church, but only when its regular congregation was not using it. The sacrilege, however, was blackened, has blackened his memory worse than anything else. He early extended his authority over Plymouth, New Hampshire, and Rhode Island, as well as Maine and Massachusetts. In 1687 October, he visited Hartford to take up the Connecticut Charter, and on returning to Boston in 1688, received the news that he was made governor also of the British provinces in America, except Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland, and Virginia. While making a tour of his northern provinces, he was checked by the information that the Penobscot Indians were about to go on the warpath. He collected 700 troops and in November proceeded to Maine and garrisoned several posts. On 1689, April 4th, news was received of the de deposition of James II. On the 18th, the citizens rose and captured Andros and kept him prisoner till August the 2nd when he escaped to New York, but was recaptured and brought back, and not released until 1690 in February. William III, in 1692, made him governor of Virginia. He carried with him the charter of William and Mary College, and until 1698 remained in Virginia. He was governor of Gersney from 1704 to 1706. His life sounds very confusing and very, very busy, and I'm exhausted just listening to everything he did. But, okay. So, number 19. We're going to move on now. And, and Vari, and Vari, in Norse, Norse mythology, a fish-shaped dwarf to whom belonged a magic ring. Does that sound familiar, a magic ring? With the curse of gold wrongfully gained. The idea of this legend forms the basis of Wagner's celebrated series of operas, Das Rheingold, De Valkyr, Siegfried, and De Gotha de Merung. No, I butchered that, my apologies. Uh, also, in Xena, there's, um, and the reason why Xena came up is because we talked about Xena yesterday in our writer's meeting. Um, speaking of writer's meeting, hey, Scribblers, Inc., uh, hey, Charlie. Hey, Anna. Hey, Delma. Hey, Daryl. Um, so, Zena came up, so that's why she's kind of, like, right there. But there were some episodes about 
about uh, the gold ring. It, it was a very silly episode, and and don't hate me, but I have to just say this: Xena does not hold up. If you watched Xena as a child, try to watch it again as an adult. It does not hold up at all. Um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, on the other hand, still holds up. Um, if you ever watched that as a child and then watch it again as an adult, it holds up. But um, Xena just does not hold up. And that's my humble opinion, but my opinion is correct in this instance. <laughs> you can agree or disagree, that's fine. If you want a heated debate about it, um, or just give me your two cents about that comment, feel free to email me at mandyoaks at protonmail.com. Again, mandyoaks at protonmail.com. And my email address is in the description of this podcast. And let's go ahead and move on to our last word. Now, for those of you who are used to me doing 30, we are going to drop down to 20 to see if that helps the time because some of these get really long. I know next week um, we have a lot of long ones next week. So you will thank me next week. Uh, I think today we just had one long one, but next week we've got several long ones. So, so number 20 is anecdote. And that is a noun. Originally, secret history. I love that. Originally, I love how words just kind of change um, over time. So originally, an anecdote was a secret history. A secret history. Uh, but now, it's a short story, a matter interesting in a man's life or conduct. Anecdotal or anecdotal pertaining to. So... Man, I really like that though, the secret history. I may I may have to use that in its original um, definition as a secret history um, instead of a matter interesting in a man's life or conduct, which is also cool. Okay, and before we go, uh, remember Grandparents Day? And I do have one more. No, I've already read it, didn't I? <laughs> The sticky bun quotes. I was like, oh, I haven't read that yet. But no, I, I did read it. So just remember uh, to remember Grandparents Day. Be as simple as a thank you, uh, Grandma or Grandpa, or just thank you to, to someone who has been like a grandparent figure to you. Um, before we go, let me go ahead and read our quote of the month one more time. Again, this is from Psalm 146, verses 1, 1 and 2. This one is from New King James Version. And I should have another version next week uh, for the same verses so we can compare them. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. And that reminds me, as you are thanking your grandparents for all they do and celebrating Grandparents Day today, remember to praise the Lord and thank God for your grandparents and for your parents, but also for your grandparents since it is Grandparents Day. So with that, I hope everyone has a blessed week. And thank you so much for joining me this week. If you have any comments at all, um, please email me at mandyoaks at protonmail.com. If you've missed any podcasts or want to know how any of these words are spelled, 
uh, feel free to visit my website, theoaktreejourneys.com. And you can also uh, look at some books that I've got. So you can order some books, my grandfather's book. Um, I've got a sci-fi book under another name. And there's also a book listed there that is no longer available, but it might be available under used books. I don't know. But uh, thank you all so, so, so much uh, again for joining me. And I know I said this already, but have a blessed week and I bid you adieu.